Let me, let me talk to you for a minute, and while we're getting ready, let me remind you, June the 3rd, we begin what? Revelations. That's beginning to cause a, a buzz, and people are wanting to know about it, and when is it going to be on the radio? Uh, it'll be on the radio after we're done, so it's probably going to be the fall, because it's going to be about a 12-week series at least. I am working on it, I'm, um, because since last time I taught it, so many things have happened prophetically. And, and uh, in the culture and in the world that I'm having to shore up the whole thing. So I'm through chapter 7, got 15 to go, and I'll be ready June 3rd, and we'll teach Revelations. It is, it is just a mind blower, this book. It is so powerful. It's so relevant. You say, why would you teach that book? It's so hard to understand. It's not hard to understand. If you understand the principles on how to get into it and how to read it and uh, uh, what you know, how God put it together. It's really not hard to understand. As a matter of fact, God wouldn't give us something He didn't intend for us to understand. So it's going to bless you. Uh, I tell you, it's already rocking my world. I'm reading it again. It's just, it's, it's so powerful. So that's June 3rd. But we're going to talk tonight again about the colossal Christ of Colossians and what He has done for us. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? Isn't he good? Can we just give the Lord Jesus a hand of praise and thanksgiving? Amen. He is good. He is good. Uh, We we saw last time the danger of syncretism. You remember syncretism, what it is? Syncretism is happening all the time in our day, and it's the mixing of different beliefs, faiths, or religions into a sort of spiritual pot pie. I want you to remember that. God did not give you a spiritual pot pie. He gave you prime T-bone steak. He gave you one God, one Savior, one blood, one cross, one resurrection, one salvation. But syncretism or pluralism is happening in uh, in America, in the West, and I think it's really worse in the West than anywhere. But um, God didn't call us to do that. He didn't call us to mix little Islam here, a little Buddhism there, a little Hinduism over here. No, that is not what God has called us to. He's called us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're not called to invest our hearts in different slices of the spiritual pie that's being offered out there. We're called to grow in Christ, amen? The same Christ that saved us from our sins. Now Paul's going to continue this thought uh, we, we dealt with Colossians 2.8, and Colossians 2.8 says, Beware, be on your guard, lest any person spoil you, take you captive through philosophy and vain deceit, according to the traditions of the world and after the rudiments of this world and not after Christ. Don't let anybody take you captive into a belief system, a religion, a faith, whatever, that is not after Jesus Christ. Don't do it. Now, he's going to continue this thought in verse 9. Now you can stand with me. Colossians 2, 9 and 10, and let's read it. He says, For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Is that not powerful? Does that not just pop? In Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body. Now he goes on in verse 10, Colossians 2. He says, so you also are complete through your union 
with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and every authority, period. In heaven, on earth, and under the earth, Jesus is over every ruler and over every authority. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Establish us in Jesus. Make our faith so strong, Lord, that we're like that tree with deep roots that when the mighty winds blow, we bow, but we don't break. We may be bowed by storms and bowed by persecution, but we are not uprooted because our roots are in Jesus. And Lord, do it with this church, and we thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. I receive your word. Grow me up in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. Thank you. Uh, This is great stuff. I tell you, I can just chew on Colossians all day long. The colossal Christ of Colossians. Now, notice that he says we are complete in him. I want you to get this tonight. We're not kind of complete in him so that we are in need of finding our completion in someone or something else. Uh Uh-uh. Complete means, it's taken from a Greek word, when he says you're complete in him, it's taken from a Greek word that means to fulfill or to fully fill. Fulfill means you're, you're fully filled. All right? You are fully filled in him, literally, as somebody would cram a net to its maximum with fish. All right? Not one more fish could fit in that net or to fully furnish a room where it doesn't need one last thing in it. It's fully furnished. That's the word complete. It means to to finish a task or to perfect something. You have been perfected in Christ. You don't need another God. That's what he's telling us here. You don't need another God. You don't need another belief system. You don't need another faith. You don't need this spiritual potpourri. You don't need it. Because in Jesus, in whom is all the fullness of the Godhead in a human body, in Jesus, you have been completed as a person. You have been completed. You are complete in Him. The Greek, if, if we were to read the Greek that it was, this was written in, it would read literally like this, direct translation, it would read like this, and you are in Him, having been filled full with the present result that you are in a state of fullness. You are fulfilled and filled full in Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling us. I mean, we are fulfilled and filled full. That's the message of the Bible. So you didn't get kind of enough or a little bit of enough or part of your answer when you came to Jesus. You got all your answer when you came to Jesus and you got completed when you came to Jesus and you are fulfilled, filled to the full in Him. Good stuff. I want you to say with me, He is all I need. We just sang that, didn't we? There is none like you. There isn't anybody like Jesus. Nobody can take care of you like Jesus. I'm going to tell you, not Buddha, not Christian, not Muhammad, not anybody. You are completed in Him. You are complete in Jesus. Filled to the full and fulfilled. The Bible is telling us that in Christ our every spiritual need is met. Then Paul says in verse 11, he says, In Him, now I love that phrase, in Him, because we're about to find out something He did for us. 
in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. What's he saying? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. He's telling us when you got saved, the very hand of God performed a surgery on the inside of you. Now, this is powerful. Let God be true and every man a liar. This is why I love the word. He's telling us that God was the surgeon and, and God performed a surgery on your soul when you got saved. Now, there's some, there's some important phrases here. You see the phrase putting off? By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh. What in the world does that mean? Putting off. Putting off is a phrase meaning the same thing as getting out of one's garments. All right? You take a jacket off. Uh, you get ready for bed. You put off your garments. He said, you put off the body of the sins of the flesh. All right? But it's even stronger than that. It also entails the idea of getting away from your old garments. Remember when Lazarus came out of that grave? He came waddling out because he was still wrapped up in what kind of clothes? Grave clothes. Now that was such a picture of being born again when Lazarus was raised from the dead because that boy was dead. And his own sister said he stinks because rigor mortis has set in. Decay has set in. He's dead. But Jesus spoke down into the tomb and he called him by name. And he told him to come out of the tomb, to be raised from the dead. And Lazarus came out bound. And then what did Jesus say? He said, loose him and let him go. Well, he was raised from the dead, but he was still not free. So they had to loose him from the grave clothes so that he could have freedom of movement in his resurrected life. In the same way, I promise you, Jesus, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, called your name. And you came out of the dead. Literally, you were dead. Ephesians 2, 1, or the whole chapter of Ephesians 2 tells us we were dead in trespasses and sins. That word dead means corpse on a slab. We were spiritually dead. There was no life in our soul. But he called our name and the resurrection and the life called us out of spiritual death. But here it's telling us when we got resurrected, he did with us what he did with Lazarus. He, we, he allowed us and empowered us to put off the body of our sinful nature. He, un, he loosed us so that we could have freedom of movement in our new life. So when it talks about putting off the sins of the flesh, it also means getting far away from them. The body of the sins of the flesh. What does that mean? The body of the sins of the flesh. The body, he mentions, is our physical body. And can I tell you something about your physical body tonight? It's not sinful. There's nothing wrong with it. Your body is not sinful. It's the sinful nature that uses your body that is sinful. When you were lost, your body was subject to your sinful nature. 
And your body had to obey your sinful nature. So your body was used for sinful things. But the body, the flesh, is not evil. The flesh is not evil. It's not bad. It's not wrong. God made it. The sins of the flesh, when he says the body is our physical body, but the sins of the flesh, when he uses that phrase, he's talking about indwelling sin. And where did you get that indwelling sin? You got it from great, 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 great granddaddy, Adam. When Adam sinned, man fell. And that's why the Bible says there is not one righteous, no, not one. There is none that does good, no, not one. We have all gone our own way. We have all turned against him. And that's why the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity, not of us some, but of us all. David said, I was born in sin and shaped in iniquity. What is he talking about? Is our flesh, is it sinful? No. But it's the sinful nature that is within you. It's fallen. And so that sinful nature causes your body to yield to it and do what is sin against God. The body that was put off when the Colossian saints were saved was the physical body that was dominated by the totally depraved nature. Remember when Paul said, when I want to do right, I do wrong. When I don't want to do wrong, I do wrong. I know what's right, but I want to try to, when I try to do what's right, I end up doing wrong. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who is going to deliver me from this nightmare? When I want to do the right thing, I do what's wrong. What is wrong with me? It's the sinful nature on the inside. Now follow me very carefully. We all had it. We were born with it. Have you ever had to teach a child to lie? What are you always having to do with those little kids? Teach them to do what's right. Why? Because they naturally do what is wrong. I mean, they come up with how to lie when nobody teaches them. They come up with how to sass you and, and rebel against authority when nobody teaches them. Where does that come from? Fallen nature. It is the depraved nature they're born with. This is why we had to have a Savior. Because you would never obey the commandments on your own. You couldn't do it. While the believers that Paul's talking to in Colossia, and, and also us, while the believers were still in possession of their body, it was put off in that it was rendered inoperative as far as the constant control of the evil nature was concerned. When you get saved, the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you, and when He does, He renders that evil nature powerless so that you don't have to obey it anymore. I got good news for you tonight. You don't have to obey the fallen nature anymore. Now, this is where I'm going to go in this teaching. I want you to get this. Paul teaches exactly the same thing in Romans 6, 6 when he says these words. We know that our old, unrenewed self, what happened to it, that sinful nature, what happened to it, say it with me, preach to me, was nailed to the cross with Him in order that our body, which is the instrument, just the instrument of sin, might be made ineffective and inactive for evil, that we might no longer 
be the slaves of sin. Amen? The guitar, if I'm playing a guitar, it's going to do what I tell it to do. The guitar is not guilty or righteous. The guitar is just going to do what I tell it to do because it is being controlled by something else. Until you got saved, your body did what it was told to do by the evil fallen nature. But when you got saved, God crucified that fallen nature. The old song says, were you there when they crucified my Lord? The answer is yes, you were there. You say, how was I there? Because that old sinful nature, what does it say? Was crucified with him. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Your fallen nature was there, crucified with him on that cross. Now let me give you the best picture I could think of. The best picture of what God has done with our sinful nature is to picture Jesus on the cross while he's still alive. He's breathing, but he is held down. He cannot walk, move around, or function. Because why? He's crucified. Are y'all with me? He's crucified. Our old nature is just the same way. It is still there, but it's crucified with Christ, unable to function and operate and rule you and dominate you as before. So when your flesh rises up or when that, that nature that is in you rises up and says, sin, the Bible says you are to say, I reckon... I reckon that I am dead to sin and alive unto God. Well, how do I know that? Because my old nature is crucified, hanging on the cross, and can't come down. Come on, everybody. The old nature is still there. It's crucified with Christ. Unable to function and operate as before. Now, I'm going to give you a big idea. I want you to remember this. Here's a big idea. On the cross, the power of the sinful nature was broken and has therefore been deprived of its control over your body. So what gives you the power to quit smoking? Willpower? Well, yeah, it's going to take your will. But how do you quit smoking? You say, you know what? That part of me, that, that fallen nature, that sinful nature that, 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 that so easily gets addicted to things is hanging on the cross and it can't move. And the only way he can come down is if you're so too ignorant to know he's crucified. That's why it says knowing this. That our old man is crucified with Christ. Knowing this. If you don't know it, he's coming down. And, he, and, and you're going to be addicted. You're going to get into all kinds. But he says, if you know what God did for you, what Jesus did for you, then you know that that old man was crucified with Christ. Knowing this. Our old man. Knowing this. Our old man is crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. 
I'm, I'm telling you, good theology tonight. This is theology, but we've got to get a hold of this because this has to do with our liberty and our freedom and our testimony. If you read Romans, you're going to find the first five chapters deal with our sins committed. But chapters 6, 7, and 8 deal with us, our old man. I was, I was in a meeting one time, way years ago, and God gave me a prophecy, and it had to do with the old man. So I started prophesying, and I remember it was like in the 70s, speaking of the 70s, and, and I said, oh, you know, you've you got to kill that old man. You've got to deny that old man. Well, there was this couple there, straight out of a Baptist church, and they thought I was talking about my dad. <laughs> and they came up to me and wanted to pray with me and, and my hatred towards my dad. And I said, I'm not talking about my dad. They became dear friends later, but they thought I was loony. Kill that old man. I hate that old man. All right. <laughs> Here we go. The first five chapters of Romans deal with the sins you commit. But then... When it goes on to 6, 7, and 8, it deals with the old man, that sinful nature. That's what it deals with. It deals with you. What did God do with our old man? He crucified it. It's crucified with Christ. And we are told to reckon this to be a fact. Listen to Romans 6, 11. Even so, consider yourselves also dead to sin and your relation to it broken, but alive to God. Dead to sin, alive to God. Raised from the dead, alive to God. Living in unbroken fellowship with Him in Christ Jesus. Now is that just flowery rhetoric? Or did God do that through Jesus? It's not flowery rhetoric. God did this. This is why He came. He wasn't the only one on that cross. You were on that cross. Your old man was on that cross. And still is. Still is. On the cross, Jesus took care of two things. Our sins committed. And we talk about that a lot, but what about this one? The sinful nature that committed the sins. He didn't just take care of the sins committed. He took care of the sinful nature that commits the sins. Oh, let's get this tonight, church. Let's get this tonight. Don't we preach all the time? Come to Jesus, he'll wash your sins away. That's great. But how about adding this? He'll not only wash your sins away, he will crucify the sinful nature that got you in trouble in the first place. Paul teaches that our old self was crucified with Christ. Who we are, the way we act, the former man as defined by sin, was crucified with Christ. And we identify with that death in the picture of water baptism. When I baptize somebody, I put them down. I say, have you accepted Christ your Savior? Yes, I have. Based on your profession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Buried with Him by baptism into His death, raised to walk in newness of life. We leave dead people in that water. (laughs) 
See, that's why water baptism is so powerful. Because I'm buried with him, because we were buried with him, crucified with him. And your old man's still on that cross. Remember that, he's still on that cross. All right? Now, knowing that this is the case, and that Christ has been raised from the dead, we can now walk in what? Newness of life. We can. Because the old man, that sinful nature, has, has been defanged. Death is no longer a master over us, for we, the old sinful nature and lifestyle, have died. See, if you're a real Christian, that old you, be dead. I hear y'all's wheels turn. I can hear the gears clicking. See, we're so big on get your sins washed away, but how about get your old man crucified so that you have a legal right when the devil comes knocking on your door and says, hey, why don't you, why don't you go back and have a snort or two of that Coke or hit those cigarettes again or go to the bottle again? Say, wait a minute. The one that did that is crucified and still on the cross crucified but see you got to understand that bible truth or you're going to be you're going to be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and the devil's going to take advantage of your ignorance you got to understand the one that did all that i, I got a mugshot of me when i got put in, in jail when i was 16 years old mugshot there i was sale narcotics 16 years old mugshot numbers right here but he's gone. He's gone. Well, where is he? He's crucified with Christ. Will you figuratively? No. Spiritually, truthfully, theologically, accurately, he's dead. Crucified. So when he tries to rise up, I say, what are you doing coming down? You're crucified. <laughs> are y'all there? What are you doing coming down? You got to get a hold of this. Or poor Christians, carnal Christians, they're always batted around, knocked around, slapped around by the devil because they don't understand this. Well, you know, I, I drink. I drink all the time because my my dad was an alcoholic. My granddaddy was an alcoholic. Great granddaddy. It's just in my blood. No, it's not. No, it is not in your blood. Because now you hooked up to another lineage. You're hooked up to another lineage. You've got another genetic code, another DNA. And, and, and that's your born-again DNA. So that old, that person who was hooked up to daddy and granddad and great-granddad is crucified. Lord, help us to get a hold of this. Help us to get a hold of this. You got to remember this all the time. You got to remember it every day. Walk out of the house going, I'm crucified with Christ. So if he tries to come down, he's not coming down because he's crucified with Christ. <laughs> now, there's two po powers at work in the world, just two. There are two dominions or two powers grace or sin. And you're under either one of the two. You're under one of the two. You cannot not be under one of the two. You're walking under grace or you're walking under the power of sin. 
Sin is powerful, but grace is even more powerful. I'm telling you. Lusts and desires are what motivated Adam and Eve to go against God by obeying the lusts and desires. And until we too come to the cross, then we also will be destroyed by our choosing to be separate from Christ, by obeying our own selfish lusts and desires. You know what sin is? Self-indulgent nonsense. There's your acronym for sin. S-I-N, self, always, indulgent, always, nonsense, always. So you got a choice. You can walk under grace or you can walk under the, the principle and dominion of sin. But you don't have to walk under sin if you're saved because the old man is crucified. That old man is crucified. But if we're alive from the dead that Galatians 2.20 tells us we are, then let us reckon ourselves to have been crucified with Christ but alive to righteousness. Galatians 2.20 is so powerful. Read it with me. Good and loud. Preach to me. I have been crucified with Christ. Is that what it says? I have been crucified with Christ. Read with me. In Him I have shared His crucifixion. It is no longer I, my old sinful nature, who live. But Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, by reliance on, and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Praise God. Now, there it is in plain black and white in the Scriptures. You're crucified. The old man is, that, that is. And so, who now has control of your body? Let us, therefore, yield our members, it says, as instruments of righteousness, as those who are alive from the dead. Well, that's powerful. So when that old evil nature used our body and we went and did sinful things, now, grace wants to use our body. God wants to use our body to glorify Him. Well, I'm going to get this tape myself. Listen to it tomorrow. Paul continues to the Colossian church. Now, get this. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. You were buried. And with him, you were raised to new life <laughs> because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. Now, can I just be very blunt with you? This is why you don't need a spiritual pot pie. You, you don't need Hinduism to perfect you. You don't need Buddhism to perfect you. You don't need Muhammad to perfect you. You don't need another God, another answer, another philosophy. Because, listen, nothing on the planet does this. God took care of your old man, your sinful nature, the sins that the sinful nature committed. He took care of it. The blood washed it away. Let's continue. He says in verse 13 of chapter 2, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature 
was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. Jesus took care of our sins and of our sinful nature. It's not that the evil nature is completely removed. It's not. How many of you know you can still sin? But here's what it did do. Its power, the sinful nature's power has been broken. The physical body that was dominated by the evil nature has been put away in favor of a physical body that is now dominated by the divine nature. Nothing else on this planet can do that for you. Now, this gets powerful now. Verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us. And he took it away by nailing it to the cross. Not only did he take care of the sins and the sinful nature, but then he canceled out all the charges against you. Oh, I love the sound of that. What were the charges that were against us it's very simple we had all broken god's law there was a warrant out for our arrest we were headed straight to the prison of hell and justifiably so like a prosecutor in court satan had a genuine case against us it was real that's why he went to god about job and said have you considered or god said to him have you considered job and satan began to rail against him he had real charges against you and me we had, as it were, warrants out on us. If we had died before we had come to Christ, it would have been over. We were guilty. Consequences loomed on the horizon. Penalties had to be paid. Justice had to be meted out and would have been. But when Jesus died and shed his blood on the cross, ready, that blood canceled the charges out. The phrase, he took it out of the way, he took the, the, he took the handwriting or the, the ordinances that were against us out of the way means literally he took them out of the midst. He took them out of our midst. Took them away from us. Jesus' death on the cross abolished our debt. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed somebody to wash my sins away. It's no longer in our midst. What we did, the sins, the charges are no longer, not only are they washed away, they're not in our midst. In the foreground, like a debtor's obligation is perpetually in front of him, embarrassing his whole life. You know what it's like if you're in debt and, and you can't pay your credit card and you get those threatening phone calls from those bill collectors. People owe thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 on credit cards. And those bill collectors call, and they are demons. And they threaten you in every way possible. What would it be like if you're talking to one of them, and all of a sudden he said, oop, I just got a memo. All your debt has been canceled. Say what? He said, I can't condemn you anymore. I got nothing to say to you anymore. You'll never hear from me again. Why? Because somebody just canceled out all your debt and all the compounded interest. That's what Jesus' blood did for us. There, there is no charge against us anymore. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus because there's no more charges against you. That's why you can run and skip and shout and smile because there's no more charges against you. 
Then Paul tells us what this did to our adversary, the devil. And this is my favorite part, and I'm going to close with this. This is what Jesus' blood did to our adversary. Paul says in verse 15, In this way he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. You say, well, who is he talking about there? Watch this. The spiritual rulers and the authorities in this verse are the same as those in Ephesians 6. It's the demons of Satan in the atmosphere of this earth. He's called the prince of the power of the air. There, there are demons that abide in and operate in the earthly atmosphere. That's what Ephesians 6 tells us. The Lord Jesus, after his death on the cross, needed to present himself at the heavenly mercy seat in his glorified body as the great high priest in order to complete the atonement. Where do you get that? I get it from the Old Testament. This fulfilled the Old Testament type when the high priest on the Day of Atonement killed the sacrifice at the brazen altar and then carried the blood into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling it on the mercy seat, thus completing in type the atonement for sin. Happened once a year on the Day of Atonement. Jesus was the real deal. When he did it himself, it never needed to be done again. And in order to do this, Jesus had to pass through the kingdoms of Satan in the air. The demons opposed him there. Jesus proceeded to take them captive and display them boldly, making an example of them, leading them in a triumphal procession of victory. These are the captives that were taken by the Lord in his ascension as he left the tomb. Let me give you the verse, Ephesians 4, 8. Therefore, when he ascended on high, what did he do? He led captivity, the demon powers that took so many people captive, he led them captive. He led a train of vanquished foes, and then he began to bestow gifts on men. He made a fool of the devil. He led them in a victory procession. They thought they were killing him on the cross. They were actually killing themselves when they moved men to hang him on the cross. Amen. All right, let's stand together and we're going to close. Let me give you the summary here. Read this with me, can you? Here's our good confession for tonight. Say it with me. Jesus is our completion and fulfillment. Let's try it again. Jesus is our completion and fulfillment. Second, on the cross, He took care of our sins committed and took care of the sinful nature that committed the sins that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Third, by His blood, he took away the charges that were against us due to our sin. And finally, he proceeded to lead the demon powers in a victory procession following his resurrection. Give him a hand of praise tonight. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.
Oh, I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you? Amen. Father, we thank you for this powerful word out of the book of Colossians. Thank you for the colossal Christ of Colossians and for our completeness and fulfillment in him. Thank you, Lord, that the old man is crucified so that we don't have to obey the sinful desires. And thank you, Lord God, that you defeated the devil, openly triumphing over him. Can you just say, Lord, thank you. Glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Lord God, thank you. Glory, glory.